0: So Isaiah 11 is this beautiful vision of what God will ultimately bring in the coming kingdom uh, of his son Jesus. And I wanted to start with this vision. We're not going to go through that verse uh, in here. Instead, uh, we're just going to kind of mention it and then we're also going to go into Ephesians 2. So if you want to keep your finger here and then look up Ephesians 2, you are welcome to do that. We'll be dancing around the scriptures quite a bit today as we work through this second week of Advent, which if you haven't picked up yet, the theme around it is peace, peace. Um, And so as we think about that in regards to the theme that we have for Advent of come behold the wondrous mystery, I would say uh, that peace at many times, maybe more than any of the other themes that we have throughout Advent, is a bit of a mystery, is it not? Um, It's fleeting, which we'll talk about, but it's also something that I would um, submit to you. That you put more effort, you put more time, you put more of your energy in your life to establish, that is peace, than probably anything else that we'll talk about. You don't think about hope a ton. As a matter of fact, I've shared this before, that when we walked through the zoo lights many years ago, which is a one-time mistake we'll ever make as a family. But when we walked through the zoo lights many years ago, there's there's peace, there's love, there's joy in the lights, but there was no hope. It actually was not there. So it's kind of interesting. That's not something that we really focus on with hope. I would say we all think about peace, or, or maybe even subconsciously, we revolve our lives around peace more than anything else if you think about kind of the thing that we're longing for. So this vision that the prophet Isaiah is casting some 700 years before Jesus and now still longing to see in its fulfillment 2,000 years after Jesus has come, almost 3,000 years have passed before this vision was set before us of of what what beautiful pictures, especially in verse 6 through 9, right? The wolf dwelling with the lamb. They're not just encountering each other as if one might be full and so therefore it does not destroy the lamb they're dwelling together the leopard lying down with the young goat can you see this vision of peace can you see the kingdom which god is going to bring one day this establishment of his rule and his reign the calf and the lion and the fattened calf that's not a skinny emaciated calf that's the fattened calf and the lion together the cow and the bear shall both graze. Their young will lie down together. They're just going to be buddies. The cow and the bear, they're just going to be hanging out together. It's a great picture of all that is, was once vulnerable in this world will not, no longer be vulnerable amongst those that have inherent power. It's a great picture of what God is going to establish in his kingdom. And I love the end where the nursing, nursing child Right, the, the, the child that has been weaned will be playing with a snake, or at least be able to. You see, it's a great picture that God is going to restore order over the serpent one day by the child. What a great picture. We long for this. We hope for this. We don't probably think about that picture so much, but I would say, again, this is something you probably revolve your life around a little more than we might think, especially these last two years, isn't every mandate really a desire for peace? Isn't that what that is? You're trying to restore order. We're trying to figure out how to get back to what we think is normal. And every mandate, whatever way you go, or, or every freedom is this desire for peace. This desire for rule and establishment of order. Every justice-seeking, every riot, every loot, well, maybe not loot, but every riot, right? They're trying to establish in their mind some semblance of order and peace. They need something. They're crying out. Every time I long to do the yard, I just looked at my yard this week. It doesn't need mowing. There was a little bit of my heart that just broke because I couldn't establish order in my kingdom. So I had to go do the dishes instead, which is terrible. But I did the dishes. Why? So I want to establish order and peace. There's a longing in my heart. There's a longing in my soul for peace. For order. Every time I do the dishes, every time I do the, do the yard, I would I would imagine it's probably the same for you. If you like spreadsheets, the reason why you like spreadsheets is because it puts things in order for you and there's some peace there. All of us probably have spent more money on security systems for your homes. You live in the suburbs, by the way, for a reason. It's not because it's convenient. Because it's safe. It's a good place to raise a family. You don't do that where I grew up, where you could, well, yeah, you don't do that where I grew up. Uh, you just don't. Like Lee High School isn't even there anymore. So there you go. Uh, you do this in the suburbs. We, peace could also be this, this avoidance of drama. Peace is also the thing that you long for when you need that glass of wine at the end of the day, or that second glass of wine, or further. It's, there's, there's something in us, whether it be Netflix, social media, sports work, however it is that you're trying to establish peace, I would say that's the thing that you're probably putting more effort and emphasis in your life than any other. But I will also say this, it's elusive, isn't it? Like, it's elusive, and it? it, Because we're in this fallen world, I don't know what your definition of peace, but I'm going to bet you there's going to be a temptation that floats through your mind during this season that I'm going to go get some peace by drinking some hot chocolate with my children and my family, and I'm going to go get on a hayride. And you're thinking to yourself, this is going to be so peaceful. We're going to cuddle up next to each other when it dips below 85. It's going to be great. You're going to put a fire on and the heater's going to turn on. It's going to have that nasty smell in the beginning. It's going to be great. But you're going to get on that hayride and what's going to happen? You're going to get choked out by diesel is what you're going to do. And your kids are going to start complaining and they're going to spill the hot chocolate on you. Right, And no one's going to know the song of that you want to sing. Or there will be a competing song on that hayride. Hey, you're like, oh my gosh, why are we singing about Rudolph? I want to sing about Jesus. Or why are we singing about Jesus? I want to sing about Rudolph. And all of a sudden, that little, little, little peaceful, precious little moment, like a little statue, is shattered. Because we live in a fallen, broken world that will not give us the peace that we long for. Though we try to establish it here through sentimental means, through idealistic thoughts, it's elusive. And it's like a vapor. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's not as elusive as we've made it out to be. Maybe it's not a vapor like we've made it out to be. You see, I think that's probably more part of the problem. It's not that peace is elusive. It's that we've got bad definitions of what peace actually is. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, one of my heroes in the faith who passed away this last year, his name is Larry Crabb. He was a Christian counselor, psychologist, but also really changed my life personally. Uh, and so he is also an author, has written many books. And one of those books, uh, that book called Inside Out, he describes a counseling session that he had uh, with a, with another uh, Christian that came to him for help. And I'm just going to read to you his account that he's told many times, but his account of what that counseling session was all about. This person, this man comes into his office and he says, uh, Dr. Crabb, I need instant relief. I want to feel better quick, Larry Crabb says. He says he paused for a moment and then he replied. He says, you want to feel better quick? And he says, yeah, I want to feel better quick. And he goes, okay, great. Well, there's one thing that I can suggest for you. I suggest you get a case of your favorite alcoholic beverage, find some cooperative women, and go to the Bahamas for a month. And he says, he stared at me, and he looked puzzled, and he asked, are you a Christian counselor? And Larry Crabb says, well, why do you ask? And the counselee says this, well, your advice doesn't sound very biblical. And Larry Crabb said this, well, it's the best I can do given your request. If you really want to feel good right away, And get rid of any unpleasant emotion, then I don't recommend following Christ. Drunkenness, immoral pleasures, and vacations will work far better. Not for long, of course, but in the short run, they'll give you what you want. How have you defined peace? Feeling better quick? Or is there something a lot more permanent for us who follow Jesus? You see, Jesus says this, and I'll come to this in the end, but he says this in John 14, which we'll read in a little bit, don't pull it up. He says, I give to you a peace that the world does not give to you. And you gotta start asking yourself the question, what kind of peace is the world offering? And am I chomping at that? Or am I waiting for the peace that Jesus has come to give? Well, what kind of peace has he come to give? I think there's three things that we can learn from Jesus three things that I think we need to reorient our lives around during this season. And again, we'll be now in Ephesians 2. The first thing that we need to understand is that peace is not so elusive as we have made it out to be. Instead, first, peace is a person. You see, Ephesians 2.14 says this explicitly, that he himself is our peace. He is peace. It is not an emotion, although that is fine if we want to define it as that. But it's just incomplete. If our our understanding of peace is, is primarily emotive, we will have an incomplete understanding of what Jesus came to give. You see, if you look up the definition of peace in most dictionaries, what you'll find are a lot of this. It's the absence of war and conflict. It is a state of tranquility. It is freedom from upsetting thoughts or emotions. I would submit to you that you can get all those things without Jesus, at least temporarily. But Jesus, if he has come to be our peace, then there's something in the person of Jesus of Nazareth that has something to offer us that the world cannot give us. You see... Peace is not the absence of conflict, it's not a state of tranquility or only these things, and it's certainly not a freedom from upsetting emotions. If it was, most of the characters in the Bible uh, would have been justified in rejecting God's call for them. You might say to yourself, well, what do you mean? Well, we're in the Christmas season, so let me just give you a couple of examples. Look at Mary. Mary who was likely 13, 14 years old when the Lord uh, revealed himself to her in the, in the form of an angel, right? And the angel comes uh, to her and says, hey, good news to you, Mary, you're going to have uh, a baby boy. And you will never lie with a man before this happens. And so now there's an unplanned pregnancy, a story that no one will believe, If you want to live a life of tranquility in the absence of negative emotions, I would think Mary would have freaked out right here. Or what about Joseph, who aimed to quietly divorce Mary? You see, that call on her life was now too uh, upsetting for his tranquil life, too upsetting for his peace. But God revealed himself to Joseph as well and said, no, no, she's not crazy. She's not making this up. I have done this thing, and so you need to stay with her. And he says, "Well, man, if you're in it, Lord, I'll stay." You see, there's no way. I want you to think about that. What that would have done socially to that young couple? There's no way they would have had a believable story walking around their town with Mary as she grows with child, and Joseph next to her, and everybody knows in their little small village they haven't had a they haven't had a wedding. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that reality of what you were, what, what, what they were dealing with? And if, and if you had an unplanned pregnancy, especially if you were a teenager, then you absolutely know what that's like. You absolutely know what that unbelievable pressure, social pressure was like for you. You know all the different narratives that were whispered to you, told to you, gossiped about you behind your back. But instead, there is this invitation into a broken and unideal world to, for, for peace to come in a way that we, we don't necessarily look for. If you remember the shepherds, they were in the field bunking down for the night, making sure there were no wolves coming in for their sheep. And what happens? God breaks in on them with a, a, a glorious light. And the first thing the angels say to The shepherds is do not be afraid. Their peace was interrupted. And then the angels end their message by saying glory to God in the highest. Actually, yeah, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I got the old Catholic saying in me from my childhood, glory to God in the highest no, no good Catholics in here. Peace to his people on earth. All right. There's only me and my mom. Apparently we're the only ones that went to mass on a regular basis. Got you in the back. My wife and her mom. They were the only good Catholics in the house. That's all right. That's our story. But that's what I hear when I think of that because there's this peace, this declaration of peace in the midst of darkness, in the midst of an unsettling world that God is still saying, no, no, no. The peace that you think you've established is no peace at all. There is a peace coming in the form of Jesus. God has a better definition for us rather than just the freedom from upsetting thoughts or emotions. No, God disturbs disturbs our emotive peace by introducing the the person of peace. And he does so by defining peace in this way. Has old Hebrew roots in the word shalom, which means this, the restoration of that which was lost. Completeness or wholeness. God wants to make you whole again. God wants to bring completeness to you. And the only way that he will do that is through the person of Jesus, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is the perfect representation of God's restoration to his relationship with humans. And just because it's Advent and we're longing for the coming of Messiah, I want you to understand that this isn't just something that happened and was written about in one little verse in Ephesians. This was something prophesied long ago through the prophet Micah, who says this, and he shall stand of the Messiah and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, peacefully. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. This good shepherd standing in the gap for us. See, it's not just an emotion, but you might be thinking to yourself, well, what does it mean that Jesus is our peace? I'm glad you asked. We are now in Ephesians 2, and I want to read for you verses 13 through 18. Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 18. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you've got a Bible app, you can, I don't know what you do, do you click there? Tap there. Ephesians 2.13. But now, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You want to know what it means for Jesus to be our peace? It means those who were far off. Those are the Gentiles. Those are the wanderers. Those are the ones who could care less about a Jewish Messiah. And if you have no Jewish roots and your ancestry, that's you. That's you. If you do have Jewish roots in your ancestry, read all of Ephesians 2, and you'll realize that you are also a part of this group that is being brought near by the blood of Jesus. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, that's Jew and Gentile, both of us one. And he has broken down in his flesh, in his body, the dividing wall of hostility. You think racial tensions are bad in this country? You should have seen it in first century Israel. Between Gentile and Jew. There were always racial tensions going on, always going to be the thing. How do we make sense of that racial tension? How do we make sense of those who are far off and those who are near? We look to Jesus who came to break down the dividing wall of hostility. He broke it down. Is that somebody that that did that peacefully? No, he waged war, it says, against hostility. Let's keep reading. He broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. How did he do that? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, a.k.a. all of your means of righteousness, he took away. All of your means of identity, he took away. And instead, he established a new righteousness and a new identity of being a people and a person of peace so that we might be identified by peace. Well, how did he do that? That he might create in himself one new man, no longer separated Jew and Gentile, lost and, 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 and believer, or I should say people of the covenant and people that didn't have the covenant. No, one new man in place of the two. So therefore making peace. And he might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, to one God in one body through the cross. And what did he do and how did he do that? He therefore and thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles. And he preached peace to you who were near, Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. It is through the person of Jesus that we would ever have any hope of, number one, having access, having a reconciled relationship, having therefore peace with our Father in heaven, much less people that look differently than us, much less people that that act differently than us, that have a different accent than us, that have a different dialect than us, different voting uh, habits than us. It is only, and when all that goes south, that's when you know the vertical relationship is off. God has come in his son Jesus to establish peace on the earth through his son. That's how God was going to make peace on the earth. No wonder he says, peace, peace among those with whom he is pleased in Luke chapter 2. So, we need not grasp at the emotion of peace if we don't first look at the person of peace. You see, he was, the thing about Jesus is that Uh, If we want to think about our emotional peace in regards to Jesus, what does it mean that the person of peace has come and that we must believe in him? Well, just look at how he lived. He lived in perfect peace on the earth. It doesn't mean he withdrew from difficulty, right? It doesn't mean that he had the absence of war or conflict or only had tranquil emotions. It means that he entered into those dark and chaotic places and waged war against hostility against his father. And he did so only because he was rooted in at least three things. And this is not in notes, but I just want to put it before you. Number one, he was rooted in his identity. God had said publicly from the heavens, this is my beloved son. You want to know how you can wage war by establishing peace on the earth and your family, with your kids, with your neighborhoods? It's because you got to be rooted in who you are in Christ. His value to the world as the unblemished lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. He knew his value. I wondered if we know our value to the coming kingdom. And then, of course, these things fueled him not to just establish peace, but be the object of so many people's wrath, so many people's war against him. And he did so that that he would be our peace. Peace is a person. Second thing, peace is not just a person, but the person of Jesus establishes for us a new position. Peace is a position. Again, I've said in John 14 that that Jesus says that I've come to give you peace. Peace not like the world, but something that may last. I do not give to you as the world gives to you. And so he says, let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. If peace is a position that Jesus has come to give to us, then I would say that the worldly peace that God gives us, or that the world gives us, is something outside of that position. Something to make you just forget that God has justified sinners. You see, that's what we have to understand in Romans 5, chapters, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. This is the position that God gives to sinners. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see this? That because we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with him. We were once enemies, we were once hostile, but now he has made peace through the blood of his son. And it goes on to say, through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace into which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Peace is a new position. It's a new station that God puts you that you didn't earn on your own. So, the peace that the world gives to us is somewhere outside of that new position that God has given you of accepted, of son, of daughter. And I'll just explain for you what I mean by all of that. If you look at the peace of the world, it's temporary. Is the justification of Jesus for you temporary? No, it's permanent. There is a relief associated with the worldly peace. But there is rest given to you with the peace of Jesus, this new position. It is shallow and it is temporary with the peace that the world may give you. And it will give you what you want to hear. And many times the peace of Jesus, the position that Jesus reminds you of, is is, is really a truth that you don't want to be reminded of a whole lot. Your flesh, at least, doesn't want to be reminded of it. You see, friends, we have to be uh, really weary and really aware of the false prophets of our day that are telling us and promising us shallow, uh, shallow value of peace, the shallow reality of peace. This is the thing that the false prophets did of old in Jeremiah 8. It says that they, the false prophets, the false shepherds of God's people, they have healed the wound of my people only lightly, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. I wonder if you can identify the places in your life where you've had false shepherds guide you, heal your wound only lightly, temporarily, shallowly, put a Band-Aid on it by saying, oh, just a little piece, you'll be fine. Whatever it is that you run to apart from being justified by Jesus himself, that's the thing that's stealing your peace. It's giving you a little bit, putting a little Band-Aid on it, but it's not reminding you of the true peace that you have in Jesus I would say be aware of the false prophets today whispering to find peace and places outside of the words and ways of Jesus. Now, now, friends, like my people, hear me, we live in a therapeutic world. You know what I mean by that? A therapeutic world which says if it makes you feel bad, it must be bad. Because it's therapeutic. We're in a world that just it values at its priority feeling good. Therefore, peace must be the absence of difficult emotions. There is a peace here, a band-aid being put on all of us if we pursue things outside of the gospel, over the gospel. There is a peace that is being whispered to us. If it makes you feel bad, then it must be bad. But following Jesus is going to take you into deeper parts of your faith than simply denying bad feelings. Instead, Jesus says, don't deny your bad feelings, deny yourself. That's the call of discipleship, which is going to mean you're going to feel bad about some things. You have to die in order for Jesus to come alive in you. And I don't know if you've ever experienced death, but it's not very exciting. It's also not very fun. But it is an invitation to go through the grave so that you can experience resurrection. If we try to get to resurrection without the grave, we're short-sighted. We must go through that unbelievably difficult experience, but if we're not careful, we spend our whole lives chasing after a peace of mind while neglecting that the position of peace which God came to give is the true and lasting peace that was promised long ago. You see, through Jesus, God has repositioned us from enemy and lost and hostile and apathetic to reconciled and forgiven and son or daughter or friend. And and now we are passionate. We're no longer apathetic. We're passionate followers of Jesus, this homeless man from Nazareth. Why would we do that? Why why, Why would we give up everything to follow him? Because this is the kind of peace that we can't get anywhere else. It's the kind of good standing with God that we can find nowhere else in the world. And so again, I say this, like there are no take backs with Jesus. You know, a lot of us through this holiday season, we're going to spend a lot of time finding gifts for people that they are only going to return. My wife laments over the fact that she has to buy things for me, not just for my birthday at this time of the year, but also for Christmas at this time of the year. Why does she lament that? Because she knows she's going to spend so much time, so much effort into something I'm going to go, cool. Do you have a receipt? (laughs) I'm difficult to shop for. I get it. I understand. You know that Jesus, he's never dissatisfied with what he purchased in you. He's never looking for a receipt. He's never disappointed at what he pulls out of the box. He's never uh, never looking at the the, the threads that you have that are just coming off, right? He's never looking at any of that, although it's there. He's, He's always pleased with what he purchased in you. Don't don't fall for, for shallow understandings of peace that lead you away from the good news of the kingdom. Our emotional peace of mind will only be sustained as a believer to the extent that you and I rehearse these truths to ourselves again and again. So I want to just put these before you, right? Our emotional peace rests on the gospel. If you fear rejection... If you fear rejection, if you do, if you change, if you find yourself being a chameleon, depending on what circles you're in, you're, you probably are fear and rejection, just to be real candid with you. You have a hard time being yourself or discovering who you really are in Christ. If you fear rejection, God has chosen you. The God of the universe, who knows all the things that you're hiding from other people, he accepts you. That's the gospel. So quit coping by trying to be acceptable. You see, that's what made COVID so difficult for so many pastors and leaders, because no matter what we did, it split the room. No matter what we did, half of you hated it, half of you only liked it. That was what was so taxing, and what really, if you didn't, if you don't have a, a, a deeply rooted identity and Jesus accepting you, then you will be beholden to the acceptance of every other person. If you fear rejection, God has chosen you. If you fear the future, God has written it. You can't. Even if you could, do you want your preferable future over the future that God wants for you? No, no, let us let's lean into God's sovereignty because the sovereign plan of God is our scary solution to the things that we don't know are coming our way. And we are hedging and we're isolating and we're going to be careful and we're not going to do this. Yesterday, Moses went to the park by himself and there were some teenagers out there with a, with a golf cart doing nonsense. And I just thought, oh, man, I'm going to go out there and be the Bad Lance. We don't need that. Nobody needs that during Christmas. And I just watched, and I was watching something with Ellie, and I go, hey, girl, i got to pause this. And I just got to go look out my window where no one can see me and judge people quietly <laughs> and wonder, is my son in danger? No, it wasn't, and he wasn't. There was a part of me that was like, man, I, if something happens out there and I don't intervene, I'm, I'm going uh, to, there's, there's, there's something about that that I was trying to establish peace by securing a future that I preferred If you fear being worthless, God values you. You don't have to fear being worthless because God so valued you that he left the peace of heaven to come and wage war against his enemies and therefore bring them to be a beautiful family. He values you, so quit coping by achievement. The finished work of Jesus is enough for you. The finished work of Jesus is the healing balm for all those whose emotional peace depend on getting stuff done. Done and on and on and on we could go. You see, peace is a post- is a is a position, and finally. Finally, peace is a posture. This is probably be the hardest one that I will preach to you today. But peace is a posture. I want you to just look on the screen. I think it's coming up. No, it may. Yeah, I think it's coming up. Matthew eleven. This is maybe the, one of the more peaceful passages, one of the more um, uh, greater promises in the New Testament for believers. When Jesus says this, come to me, all who are labor, who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you lasting peace. I'll bring you shalom. I will restore to you that which you're working for. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see this picture of peace? You see how this happens in our souls, not just in a place for eternity, but this invitation for all who would come and learn from Jesus. For he says this in verse 30 For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you look closer at this invitation to find rest, that Jesus gives us, we must have a posture of learning from Jesus. Of learning from Jesus. We have to take his yoke, which is an instrument of work. He's gonna hold one side, and you're gonna be on the other side, and it's gonna be on your shoulders. So you're still in there, and you still gotta do some things and walk next to him, but his, now that you're laboring on your own, now he is taking the other side, and you are learning from him. Because he is gentle, he is lowly, and his words and ways are the path to life. They are the path to life. You see, we will never have the peace that God intends for us if we don't start taking seriously learning the ways and the words of Jesus as the ways and words to life. If peace is a position in which the person of peace secured for sinners, then our posture must be one Of a humble learner. At the core of what a disciple is, he or she is a learner. We must learn the good shepherd's ways and words. And this is backed up throughout all of scripture. If you look at Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3 says this. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. Will be added to you. Now, this is again probably the harder part that I'll say. So, this is a little bit of a minefield that I'm just going to dance in a little bit. Okay. Some of us are low in spirit for no other reason than what Paul describes as grieving the spirit. When we grieve the spirit, that's another way of saying we're just not walking in step with the spirit. We've we've forgotten that he actually has a rhythm that we need to keep in step with him. He's not trying to keep uh, rhythm with us. This is also known as a life of obedience. This is also known as a life that wants to honor and follow Jesus in all areas of life... ...and to teach others to do the same. So some of us, we just have an apathy towards God. We don't care about his rhythm. We don't care about his pace. We actually don't really... we, we, We say we care. There's nothing in our life that would indicate that we care about following Jesus in all of life. And if we're believers... We've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we don't care about what the Spirit is up to, we're going to grieve the Spirit, and we're going to misdiagnose ourselves as anxious, as depressed, and we're going to find ourselves trying to find a peace that doesn't come in the person of Jesus. Now, I want, to, I want you to hear me. Go seek counseling if you need counseling. My wife and I go to a counselor every month. It's great where I go and talk about all of y'all. And my wife goes and talks about all of me. Okay? So it's great. Where we get get actually like some decent understanding that I'm actually, it's just about me. That's all it is. It's my issue. So counselors are a good thing. If If you are considering, have considered, or are on antidepressants, us too. We've done the same thing. So I'm not here to preach against any of those means of mercy that God would give you but let's see it as a means of mercy. Let's not uh, go around what God would give us, but instead let us, and and again, if we're seeking those things outside of or on top of a a higher priority than the person and the work of Jesus, we will always be trying to find a Band-Aid for a wound that a Band-Aid can only cover and never heal. It is peace, peace to my people where there is no peace. And so I want to invite you, friends, I want to invite you to find peace more deeply, more more in in reality than you've ever imagined in the person of Jesus and in the good news of the gospel. He has taken away our sins. He has positioned you in places that you never thought imaginable. You want to deal with rejection? Man, he, he dealt with rejection so you don't have to. You want to deal with feeling worthless? He was the one that was counted worthless with his beard plucked out, beaten beyond the recognition of a man so that you can find value in him accepting you. See, everything finds its, its, its purpose in Christ. That's why every promise has find their, finds their yes and amen in the person of Jesus. Get all the counsel that you want. Take all the meds that you want. And I'm I'm not here. Please hear me. Please hear me through the the, the lens of, hey, I apologize for telling you things a couple weeks ago. I'm still in that posture. I want to invite you. Do those things. But don't do it outside of your ultimate hope being in Christ. He's the only one that will take this stuff away. He's the only one that has the solution through his words, through his ways. May we... Never be a people that settle for relief, but always be a a, a people that are waiting, that are longing, that are purposing ourselves to find our ultimate identity, our ultimate value, our ultimate worth, our ultimate purpose in the person of peace himself. And that is Jesus of Nazareth. And let's pray. Lord, sin hunting is not the cure to peace. Looking at ourselves and going, okay, well, where did I mess up? And if peace is somehow dependent upon my obedience, then i got to get all the disobedience out of me. That's not the answer. Lord, instead the answer is found in praying like the psalmist prayed. And So I just want to end today by praying as the psalmist prayed. As we think about you bringing us peace, this vision of peace that's that's given in Isaiah, and this fulfillment in your Son Jesus, that that's the only way we're going to have mental peace, much less relational peace. As we think about that, Lord, I just want to pray like the Psalmist: "Search me, O God, and know my heart; try me, O Lord, and know my thoughts." In your searching, in your knowledge, in your trial of me, Lord, we just, we lay ourselves open to you and say, Lord, if there's anything offensive in us, we don't want it anymore. If there's there's a way that we've been searching for peace apart from your son, Jesus, Lord, direct us in our steps, shed light on our path so that we may have life. May we repent of the ways that we've gone down, grievous ways. Lord, see if there's any grievous way in me and in us. Lead us in the way of everlasting. So, Lord, where we need to repent, Lord, give us the, the, the boldness to just own. Oh, man, I have sought peace and accumulation. I have sought a peace in, in, in trying to fulfill some vision for my life that is outside of you. I've sought peace in all sorts of ways. And trying to fulfill my life's dreams through my children. And trying to fulfill my life's dreams through accomplishment and achievement at work. And being loved and accepted by this group of people. And establishing my own righteousness apart from the righteousness of Jesus because I do this and therefore I must be accepted. No, no. Lord, let us repent of these things and instead let us continue to look and long for the peace that only comes to your son Jesus. So Lord, we corporately just say, Lord, just search us. We don't want to be people that don't matter. That have a faith that just is irrelevant in this world. We want to have a faith that matters for our lives, for our families our neighbors hope for all of it we want to be a people that engage not just separate ourselves from drama as you engaged us lord let us engage others but let us not do so and skip the hard work of being with our father who so loved us that he sent his only son to be our peace break down hostility between humans and a holy God and therefore establish one new person in the church bonded together by the bond of peace because we are all purchased by the blood of the son help us believe this again and again lord search out the dark places in our hearts where we've hidden away Little, little parts of self-righteousness, lies that we want to believe, Listen, just, just come and search us. And Wherever it is that we have tried to find and establish the kingdom, ultimately in our own lives, apart from you, may we repent. May we see that as a good thing to change our minds about what we've been doing and believe in the good news of Jesus, that you love us, that you knew we were going to do that anyways, and you purchased our sin when you came. And may we deeply trust in a good and gracious Father who sent his Son. In Christ's name do I pray.